Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And we have another interview for you coming up with a very special guest after a few quick updates. 2022 was a record year. Thank you to everyone who made it so special. We've already started 2023 here. We're, we're almost at the end of the quarter. I think today is the first day of spring as we record this, which is just wild because I think March has been such a, a crazy month here pretty much across the country, no matter, I was going to say just here in New England, but I think across the country, I think California is dealing with record snow still and rain. Um, and we've had snow here in March in Connecticut, which we have had no snow <laughs> previous to. So 2023 is off to a, a great start for us though, here at Project Purple. We just got through our New York City half team, which almost set a record. And we've got so many races the rest of the year. If you're interested in joining any of our fall marathon teams, they are filling up fast. Our Chicago Marathon team is almost full. Our New York City Marathon team is full, but has a waiting list, which you can get onto, along with opportunities in Berlin, Twin Cities, and many, many more. Um, if you're interested in our races, please visit our website at projectpurple.org. For those locally here in the New York tri-state area, we have our annual Golf Charity Classic coming up on Monday, June 5th at Shorehaven Country Club. If you're a golfer, we still have some foursomes available. If you're a company owner and are looking for a great sponsorship opportunity, we've got plenty of sponsor opportunities available. Again, to learn more as well, go to our website, projectpurple.org, and be on the lookout for many of our virtual events happening throughout the year. Follow us wherever you follow social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, we are there. Without further ado, let's meet our special guest today coming to us all the way from, I'm going to say Westchester County, right? You're in Westchester County. Yeah, that's part of Westchester County. Yeah. Jody Sadovsky. Jody, thank you for joining us here on the Project Purple Podcast. Thank you for having me, Dino. Nice to meet you. And you are in Westchester County, right? That's I part sure of it. Yes, that's I am. right. That's right. That's right. Okay. I wanted to make sure. I was like, wait a minute, that could be Duchess. Cause no, 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 no. That's Westchester. Um, thank you for joining us here on the podcast. I'm excited to have you on. I know. So I think my previous guest, and I know you and I were talking before we hit record. Um, he was a reschedule too as well. I think you were a reschedule as well. And it always kind of uh or we were trying to figure out the best time. Um, and so as we were talking before, we've done this six years now, 200 plus guests. Sometimes people have to reschedule. Um, you know, we've had a lot of survivors on the podcast and, and you're a survivor fighter. And I always get nervous when people reschedule because I'm like, oh man, you know, like I hope they're okay. Um, so it's always great to see your name pop up. I know, I think there, I think you weren't feeling well the first time and we had to reschedule. So we got you back on here, which is awesome. Um, I'm excited to have you on, uh, because, uh, I don't know a lot about your story, uh, which I, which I, I don't do a lot of research uh, on a lot of my guests as we were talking beforehand. This is like you and I having a conversation for the first time meeting. So this is just awesome to uh, to have the ability to to be in this opportunity to have you on. So with that, as I said before, um, 
the first part of the the podcast, this segment is really your opportunity to share with our audience. I know I've teased it a little bit here. I'm sure they know that you're you're a survivor and, and you come from New York, but to uh, to share with our audience kind of your background, what brings you here today, how you got to this point and where you are in your journey with pancreatic cancer. And as I said before, you can stay as high level as you want and the microphone is yours. Thanks, you know. Um, so one of my friends, a survivor that I met at an event um, referred me to you, my friend Kit. Um, and he said that um, you should do a podcast. You have an interesting story. Um, so I'm here today to share it. And um, I, you know, I was first diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in October, 2021. Um, it was really a shocker because I generally I was a healthy person. I, I ate right. Um, I exercised. I worked, I worked a full-time job. I managed low-income housing in Bronx and Manhattan, managed 23 buildings, at 800 tenants. And I mean, I mean, doing that for about 20 plus years. Um, so, you know, I, I was feeling some pain. I thought it was maybe my hernia or something. And um, I went to my gastroenterologist, he did some testing. And I, so I get that call at work and, and the message must have just came on the portal and I didn't yet see the portal. And he said, you know, I have some bad news. Bring bring your spouse with you and you have some very important decisions to make. And I said, okay, well, when when can I see you? And, you know, he said I was, he was in the hospital that night. He was doing some colonoscopies and he said, you know, I'll see you later if you'd like to, or I could see you tomorrow morning. So I said, you know what? It's not good news. So there's no sense in rushing up there tonight. I'll see you tomorrow morning. Um, so. I stayed at work probably for another 20 minutes or so. And I saw the news on the portal and I read it. I didn't quite understand what I read, but um, I did see cancer. And I thought that I had liver cancer. Um, again, I, I've never read anything scientific. So this was really surprising to me. So I read it. I sat another 15 minutes or so, did a couple of things on my desk. And then I said, you idiot, go home, go home. You just got this bad news on the portal. You have something that's really not good. Um, so go home. So I called my wife and um, I said to her, you know, I have some bad news to tell you, you can meet me at home. And she said, of course. So I get home and I said to her, I said, you know, I'm not quite sure, but I think I have liver cancer. I said, I read the news in the portal and um, the doctor, the gastroenterologist called me and he said, we need to see him. And of course, she wanted to go right away that night. And I said, you know what, it doesn't matter. It's bad news. We we know what's on the portal. We'll talk about it tomorrow. So we went the next day. And um, and he's so kind. And, and he said that um, you have pancreatic cancer and it metastasized to your liver. And, um, you know, I can get you in to see the medical, the director, the medical director of um, White Plains Cancer Center, I can get you to see him right away. Uh, do you want to do that? So I said, sure, yes, of course. And, you know, made a few jokes in, in his office and, you know, some usually quite humorous, you know, never use a sense of humor, right? And um, I said, okay, you know, so we'll, we'll go see him. And his last words was, you know, you're a very sick girl. And I guess I really didn't understand it, but I said, okay you know, we're going to deal with whatever it is that I have to deal with. I'm ready to fight. I mean, after all, I've worked in the Bronx for 20 plus years. So if anybody's going to fight, it's going to be me. And um, I went to see Dr. Costin, who's the director 
of White Plains Cancer Center. And again, he was just fabulous and so optimistic and caring. And everything was just such a whirlwind at that point. I mean, everything, I went for a PET MRI. I went for a port. I mean, all, all of this was within probably within a week. And I, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And I was scheduled to start treatment probably within a week, um, maybe a week or two weeks after my diagnosis. And of course, everybody, you know, thinks Sloan is one of the best hospitals and and, and maybe they are, I, I don't know. Um, but of course I went there for an opinion and I went in there, met with a doctor and they had a clinical trial of, available. And I said, you know what, I, I really just felt comfortable in my planes and I wanted to just start with standard care of treatment, uh, which was chemo before doing any clinical trials. I figured I can always go back to Sloan um, if things got worse and I can always do two trials at a later date. So the next day I started with my chemo treatment and um, Dr. Costin started me on one of the strongest treatments. It's Fulfirinox, um, which entailed it initially it was, I, I was in the chair several hours um, in one day, and then I would take home a pump for the next 48 hours. And then I would return um, two days later after the treatment. And then I would have hydration and, um, and then the pump would, you know, the pump would be removed. I do hydration and uh, I didn't have treatment until the next two weeks. And the side effects were incredible. I mean, I, I probably slept for three to three to four days after the treatment and, um, it, you know, it affects your digestive system and um, pretty badly. And, and there's quite a lot of fatigue. And after those days passed and I did get my um, hydration, I, I turned the corner and I would be up running around at my normal energy level, taking walks around Glen Island Park, which is about a three mile walk. Um, and I would just do my normal thing, my everyday thing. And I did that for about six treatments. And, you know, the, the effects are cumulative. Um, so I also did have neuropathy and still do. Um, so after the six treatment, from seven to 12, I was now every three weeks because my body couldn't handle the, the chemo. It's a very strong chemo. So now the treatments were every three weeks and um, I finished those 12 treatments and then I went on chemo maintenance. And what that means is it's basically it's the same cocktail, but they remove one key element, which is oxaliplatin and the platins are really the strongest and toxic, most toxic, from what I understand, um, of the chemos that they use. And um, so I was on chemo maintenance for a while. Um, and then I went away. I, I went on a trip to um, Turkey and Greece, and I was there for, I don't know, maybe about 10 days. I went on a cruise, beautiful cruise, um, 200 people, really a trip of a lifetime. and. Um, I noticed that, you know, I was getting some pain and something just wasn't really right. Uh, but I was able to get through the trip, thank God. And I did enjoy the trip. And um, at that point, that's when um, we noticed my biomarkers were going up and we did another PET scan. And um, there was some activity. And at that point, we we changed to another form of chemo. Um, 
Are you, are you with me, Dino, so far so good? Yeah, no, 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 you're good, you're good. I, I'm not jumping in. If I'm not jumping in, then you're good. Okay, okay good. I didn't know we lost you. No, this is perfect. So, on. Uh, so you're on this fluoronox. So wait, but let me just back up here for a second. So you get this diagnosis in 2021. It seems like this moves pretty quickly from when you're not feeling well straight into treatment. So you go through, when did you go on the trip? Um, actually, the trip was, was it, it was September 22. So September 22 then. Um, that's when you go on the trip and that's kind of when you were... Um, coming back, not feeling well. And then now there's a reassessment of like where you are and what treatment we're going into. Correct. Because at that point I was on, I, you might, I may have taken a trip to a short trip to Florida, you know, prior to that. Um, but you know, at this point, when I went to Turkey and Greece, it was, I was on maintenance. So yep. again, the harshest of the chemos was removed out of that treatment. Um, and that's when we pivoted to another treatment that um, that, that I'm currently on. Um, and I always say this incorrectly, but it's gemcitabine and abraxin. Yep. Yes. Yes. Yep. Gemcitabine and abraxin. Yep. Yeah. And that that treatment is every so it's supposed to be um, three weeks on and one week off, I believe. But again, my body mm-hmm. couldn't handle that protocol. So we were doing two weeks on and one week off. Um, so every Tuesday I would, you know, I'd go for a chemo treatment. Thursday, I would go for hydration and a shot. They give you um, a shot of Zarzio, which is supposed to build up your white blood cell count. And then on Friday, I would go back for um if I needed, if I wanted hydration again, and also another shot. And in between those treatments, I did have to get a blood transfusion and um, and actually two weeks ago, I did get another blood transfusion. So I've had two blood transfusions since I began treatment and, um, you know, nurses and nurse practitioners said, you know, you've really done well because in most cases, patients need blood transfusions a lot earlier, you know, during their, their course of treatment. So they were actually surprised that it took this long for me to, to need to need a blood transfusion. Um, so I've been on this protocol since my return um, from Turkey and Greece. And um, I'm just trying to get the timeline right. I came back and let me see, we did another PET MRI and um, the treatment worked well. Nothing had spread and there was very minimal activity. And that was in December. Um, so everything was going well on this on this form of chemo. Um, we called it the sneak attack. It was a surprise attack on the cancer cells, and that's why they they were surprised by this new form of chemo, and that's why the activity was so minimal at this point. And comes February, um, I started feeling pain again. And usually, when I start to get the pain in my back, that's how I know that that something isn't right. And my next PET MRI was supposed to be scheduled for April and in February, it was the middle of February. I said, please, something's not right. Can you, can you do another PET MRI and see what's going on? Um, and to also do my biomarkers, because usually the biomarkers for me is an indication of, um, you know, is there activity and just kind of gives me some guidance. 
So thank God we were, we did the testing and um, yeah, my, my biomarker at that point was, was back up to 13,000. Um, let, let me just rewind the clock for a second. When I started, when I was first diagnosed, my biomarkers were at 85,000. So they came down tremendously with the first treatment of fulfurinox. Um, so really that was a blessing. And a lot of people don't take well to fulfurinox because again, it is strong. Um, so fast forward to February, my biomarks were up to 13,000. We take the, um, the PET MRI uh, machine wasn't available. There's not really many MRI, PET MRI machines available um, in Westchester and maybe even other counties. So I, I did have to take a PET scan and the doctor was, was okay with taking the PET scan. It would show him what he needed to know. Mm-hmm. So I took the PET scan and that showed that um, one of the lesions on my liver miraculously disappeared, but what was there grew. Um, thank God it didn't spread, but what is there did get bigger. Um, so as you know, as we kind of know our own bodies, I knew something just wasn't really quite right. So I spoke to the doctor, my oncologist, and um, he said, you know what, for now, we're going to stay on this course of action. And, you know, I know there's some things coming down the pike and as far as trials, and for now, we'll stay on this and we'll see what's going on. In the meantime, so I did get continued with the treatment and I said, you know what, I, I can't wait six months. I need to just you know, make a few phone calls and do a little research and get maybe second and third opinions and see if there's any trials available that I would qualify for. Um, so my friend Kit referred me to Dr. Ocean at Cornell Weill and um, I went to see her and she referred me to another doctor who's in charge of a clinical trial and um, Dr. Ma. And she was great, gave me a lot of information, thought I might qualify for a trial or two. And um, I'm going away in April, the middle of April. So basically I've been telling everybody this, that I'm going away because this way there's a timeline as to when I could start a trial. I, I know that you're supposed to be off chemo, I think three or four weeks before you start a trial. So I was kind of trying to get everything to fit in and let them know, um, just to give them a heads up. So I did go to Cornell for an opinion, and I also went to NYU. Um, I have a world-renowned surgeon on standby at NYU, Dr. Wolfgang, um, but right now surgery isn't in, in my future right now. Um, but he referred me to Dr. Spencer, who's an oncologist there at NYU. And um, basically she said, when I come back from my river cruise to give her a call and we'll, you know, there are some trials opening up mm-hmm. and um, give a call and see what's available. So those were the opinions. And I, and I brought these opinions to my oncologist in White Plains, Dr. Costin, and actually I saw him today. And um, Dr. Ocean did speak with Dr. Costin, and it's great to see doctors talking to each other because, um, you know, more than, you know, two, three minds put together is better than one, right? Correct. So they've, uh, they put their heads together and um, Dr. Costin said that we're going to actually pivot to another treatment. And um, 
I, I know I'm really not going to this, the name of what this one is, um, but it is iron tea can. And I did have a form of that in the Fulfirinox study and, um, and it will be with the FU5. And, and I've been with the FU5 in my first line of treatment. So some of it is similar. And then there's another, the way that this, from what I understand is formed, it's, it has a different name. So it's iron can lip liprazole or something like that. But anyway, um, so I'm not having treatment tomorrow, which I was originally scheduled for, but I'm going to start that new treatment, um, next week. And, um, that should tide me over until, um, my return from my river cruise. And, um, you know, in the meantime, I'm going to get a pet pet scan. Oh no, just an MRI of my pancreas and liver this week. And um, I'm going to need to go to Sloan. Dr. Costin sees that there's trials there that is targeted for my liver and pancreas that he prefers me to participate in. And um, so he has a contact there. And um, so I'll, I'll end up going back there to see what their trials are and um, be on this new treatment until we see if one of those trials will be, um, you know, one that Dr. Costin will help me select. And that's where we are as of today. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I want to go back. My first question here. So you get diagnosed in 2021. And I have a a thing that I say, Jody, a lot is uh, loaded uh, questions. So all my questions are usually loaded. There's usually no right or wrong answer to them, um, but they're difficult, I guess, in the sense that I, I say that they're loaded. And in hindsight, uh, is always 2020. Let me preface that by uh, before I ask this. You get diagnosed in 2021, but if we look back, again, we're, we're hindsight being 2020 here. Was there a time? I mean, you said like up until then, like you, you know, everything was fine. You exercised. Uh, you're super active, you had this job, but were there any things beforehand, any other diagnosis with cancer, any other health issues that, you know, again, being hindsight, we could say like, well, and reason being, sometimes we have people on the podcast and they say, well, you know, I, I dealt with this prior to, and now that I think about it, you know, maybe that was kind of the precursor to something. And, and the piece of this is that it's frustrating. We don't have early detection, right? Because with early detection, we would pick up on these things a lot sooner so that we don't have patients with advanced cancer or cancer that spreads to other organs. Um, and sometimes, uh, you know, patients experience something, something, you know, maybe digestively that just didn't sit well. Or, or to your point, you said you just had pain, but you knew it was pain that wasn't good which I'd love to talk about here in a second, but I first want to ask that first question, you know, looking back, what did everything health-wise look prior to 21? So, well, in 2019, um, I did feel some discomfort and I had my gallbladder removed. Um, and at that time, that's when I found out that I had um, had that, that the hiatal hernia. Mm. So, I mean, you know, I was prescribed pantazaparol for digestion but it wasn't bad. I mean, it, you know, it, it was, it was okay. It was like, it wasn't a big deal. And until like April, 2021, I went for my regular physical and annually I would, you know, go for my annual physicals. 
And um, like on my left side, my left rib, like it felt a little soft or like a bruise or something like that. And, and again, it was minimal. And I said to my primary, I said, you know, I don't know. I have this discomfort here. It's not big. You know, I, I dismissed it in a sense. And she goes, well, there's really no major organs there. So it didn't, it didn't make sense to her. And it was dropped. You know, so I said, okay, maybe I slept wrong. I, I don't know. Maybe I just slept wrong. Um, and, and that was probably the first indication, looking back again, hindsight, that something was probably just going on. Something just as simple as feeling like a bruised area, um, you know, and then, like I said, then in probably, I don't know, September or so, um, you know, I started to feel minimal, you know, some back pain. And I used to sit with a pillow on my chair on my back and because I'd always sit at the edge of my chair. So sometimes I would get, you know, a little, a little back pain and this cushion and I've had it there for years, but this cushion kept flying off of my chair and I'm like, Oh gosh, you know, it just keeps flying off my chair. And again, now looking back, I th- I'm thinking, you know what? It was, it was God giving me a message to go to the doctor. Okay. He's like, this pillow isn't falling down on the floor for no reason. You're in pain. Go to the doctor. So, so let me just jump in here. You said it's flying off the chair and I, I the, you know, we, as I said, record, I said, I'm saying before we hit record, you know, I said like, Hey, no topics off topic, right? Like we can talk about anything. So when you say this is flying off, was it just like, Hey, it just kept coming off and that never happened previously. Or is this like, maybe because you were in so much pain, you know, you're, you're moving around and it was coming off. I mean, in the last couple of years, I could I could say maybe a handful of times the pillow would come off the chair. Okay, but at this point, it was I was happening every day, you know, and maybe a couple of times a day. And I guess it just took that brick to hit me over the head, you know, because normally when you're you're living life, you're you're just going with emotions and. You're just doing what you're supposed to do, and you almost have blinders on, and you mm-hmm. don't you don't see the signs, you don't see things, and it, with that pillow, just like I said, it just kept flying off. It was just finally, it was, it was just like I said, for me, it had to be God just saying, "Go to the doctor," you know, and and so then I did. Finally, I got the message, and I'm like, I'm going, and and that's not the only message that I've gotten. Um, I've gotten several affirmations, and. Um, you know, once you're diagnosed, pretty much the blinders do come off and you are open to different things and you do see more things and you're more in tune with, with life and people and um, spirits and spirituality and um, you, you find those things. So I'm going to pause here for a second and we're going to sit on this topic. Faith has is something that comes up often. Um in a lot of our podcasts. So were you a person of faith before the diagnosis? I, I was. I mean, actually, for for about 15 years, um, my spouse and I, we sang in a Catholic choir. And she's, she's Catholic, Italian Catholic. Um, I'm Jewish. And um, we enjoyed ourselves. We sang in the, in the choir. And 
after, I don't know, after 15 years, um, we went down to City Island and some friends of ours said, oh, you know, there's a temple right down the street. And, um, you know, my wife said, Phyllis, she said, why don't we go to that temple? And I'm like, gosh, I don't know anything about Judaism. I mean, yeah, we, I was, I'm Jewish. My parents were Jewish, but we didn't learn. We didn't study anything. And, you know, maybe the only thing we knew about Judaism was, was looking for the, uh, the Afikomen, you know, for the holiday or, or having some potato pancakes or something like that. That was the only thing I knew. So long story short, um, we ended up joining the temple and, um, I did make my bat mitzvah during the year of COVID and I, I became the president of the temple. So I went from knowing nothing to knowing something, becoming the president of the temple. And, um, and this was all before you got diagnosed then if it was, was it 2020? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So January, 2021 is when I became president of the temple. It was probably, about five years since I was a member of the temple at that point, or, or I don't know, three or four years, maybe maybe five years that I was, um, yeah, that I was um, a member of the temple and I became president January, 2021, was diagnosed. And um, one of my get- very good friends who um, was also on the board with me, um, Rachel said, you know what, she was vice president. And, you know, she said, if you can go through what you're going through, then, then I'll become the president. And um, so she she took over the presidency and I stayed in the background of the temple and I still did a lot of work. And um, I just actually recently just stepped off the board as of March 1st, um, just to be able to focus on more things um, pertaining to my health, um, to my life. And, um, you know, to just try to just do more things that I might enjoy and not worry about and just try to be stress-free. So that, that was why, I, you know, figured, let me, let me just step off and see what I can do. <laughs> and here I am. So you get involved in the Jewish community about five years ago, you get engaged, super involved, your spouse, um, does she join the the community as well? Oh yeah, Phyllis has been by my side for everything that we've done. She comes to temple. So did she get bar mitzvah too? <laughs> she did not. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say she could have. I mean, she well, yeah, yeah, because she she's always worked for um, Jewish people, so she knew more than I did. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I figured I would ask. I just figured I'd ask. I know you said she was Italian, but you know she was Roman Catholic, so. Um, <laughs> so then you have this strong rooting of your faith before you get sick. And I want to bring this up and, and talk about this here just for a second. What you've gone through since the diagnosis here in 21, how much of your faith, that rooting in your faith and your involvement in the faith has helped you through this time? Oh God. Um, every day, every day. I mean, I, I don't know how people can proceed without it. You have to have faith. It just gets you through the day. It's powerful. Um, so you're through this, this treatment plan. I want to now get back to 
today. You've got this plan in place. We're going to get through the next couple of weeks. You go on this river cruise, and then the ultimate goal is when you come back from the river cruise, there's a trial that's open that you get involved in. So I think that's the plan. Um, we've actually written to one of the top guns at Sloan. Um, I, I think like she's, I think Dr. O'Reilly, I think she's number one in the country. Eileen O'Reilly. Uh, yep. Yeah. Dr. O'Reilly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, when I first went to Sloan, I saw Dr. Yu and I think he might be number three or number four. Peter Yu. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. So, so not, not bad. Um, not too shabby, as they not say. Not too yeah. shabby, right? To to get a hold of, but like I said, I, I've I've been fortunate, and again with faith, you know, God has put all the right people in place for me um, at the right time. Um, so we first got a hold of Doctor Yu, and now we've written to Doctor O'Reilly, and if she's not the primary doctor on the trial, um, then I've been told that. And that she will oversee it and that she will have some involvement one way or another. So I feel secure in knowing that, you know, I'm going to have one of the top guns um, looking out for me. Awesome. So I've got a couple questions here. And as I said, I've been taking notes here. You mentioned self-advocating a bit. And so well, let me back up here for a second. And this happens often, doesn't happen all the time. But me as the listener here and just hearing your story, like I'm, I get to like write all these notes, but I kind of like in my mind and, and I'm closing my eyes here for the people watching. Um, if this is like from a visual perspective, I, I kind of see people's timelines, if that makes sense, right? And there's usually like this arc that people are on these journeys. And you've said some things and mentioned some things, and I've asked some questions. The faith one was a big one here that just like the the the, the strobe light in the, the studio here just went off. Um, but you mentioned, you know, you managed 23 low-income houses for 20-plus years working with 800 families in the Bronx. We have a vast audience. And we're not going to, I'm not trying to go down any rabbit hole and paint any negative connotation to anyone in the Bronx. My parents are immigrants. When they, and I can say this, this is why I can say this. When my parents came from Italy, they went straight to the Bronx, the boogie down, right? They lived there for five years. My grandfather lived there for 15 years. We used to go into the Bronx. You, you got to have the, like, the strong only survive in the Bronx, right? Like you're laughing, Jody. You know what I where I'm yes, going here with yeah. this. You you gotta have tough skin. Uh, there's a certain personality. When you said in the Bronx, like my rabbit ears went up because I'm like, oh man, she's a tough cookie. <laughs> like, and especially to work with public housing, you know, to manage 800 families. Um, you got some tough skin here. Right. And and I'm not trying I'm not throwing any shade. I'm not disrespecting anyone in the Bronx. This is a compliment. These are compliments, right? And then you mentioned self-advocating quite a bit and the way you were talking about this journey and and some of the things. And then you threw in the faith piece in here. I often kind of and I don't know if you've ever thought this, 
but like the 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 things that you've experienced in your life before cancer the faith the working in the bronx things you went through from a medical standpoint almost prepare you as we we follow this arch or arc prepare you for where you are today and then allow you as you you mentioned self advocating quite a bit and having this plan and the other thing you mentioned you know like you rose to the president of the temple that's no easy task <laughs> you know so kind of again taking charge of things here and 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 being kind of in a leadership position it's just interesting to me and i don't know if the audience saw that but i had to throw this this in here because again, doing this podcast as often as I have, I, I, I see this sometimes where people have these things and, and not to say that it's hindsight, but you, and, and I'm a man of faith. I grew up in the Roman Catholic church. I do believe some things happen for a reason. We don't necessarily always know the reasons why certain things happen. And we may never know why certain things happen, but I, I, there is a higher belief, there's a higher being, right, that sometimes puts us in positions to prepare ourselves for the future or puts us in positions because of certain things that we may or may not understand, right? Okay. So just hearing you tell your story, I don't know if you've ever thought of that, like, you know, from your upbringing and then where you are from the faith perspective and then what you're ultimately dealing with today, how that's prepared that, you know, prepared you for that journey. Well, do you know, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. And I've, I've acknowledged that I've absolutely been prepared, um, which is a good thing because to be blindsided is horrible. At, at least, I mean, look, this is, you know, this is a bad situation, let's face it, but at least I've been prepared um, in some way. And you, you don't know that you're being prepared. But, but, you know, God provides and, and I do think that he has prepared me for this journey because imagine if I wasn't prepared, you know, imagine if I wasn't prepared, like it it could be a million times worse. You know, I mean, don't look, don't get me wrong. I mean, I do have my bad days, I have my weepy days, you know, et cetera, but you know, life is a gift. It's such a gift. and we're all being prepared. We just don't know for what. And somehow we, we, we affect people. We affect all of our friends and our lives are so intertwined that it's just incredible how, how we do affect one another. And, and, and my journey has become other people's journeys. You know, I have friends that now, you know, have put their health first and now they're going for, um, you know, opinions and, and testing and, colonoscopies and whatever that they need to go through. And, and like, I'm happy to see that. I'm just, I'm so happy that my friends have taken that approach to make sure that their health is number one. I have, I really have great friends. I really, and, and a great support system and a great family. So like I said, I've been blessed and I've been prepared. It's powerful stuff, Jody. The self-advocating piece, did is that something, and I think I know the answer to this, but I don't want to be I don't want to assume. Was is that something that you just have always self-advocated for yourself and in, in life? 
or is it something that with this diagnosis that, that you just like flip a switch and you knew you had to do? Um, well, I, th I think when I was younger in school, I was, I was always underestimated. So, um, you know, at that age, the, the young age, middle school and high school, um, I did self-advocate and say, no, you know, I'd, I'd like to be in the honors group, you know, because they put me maybe in the B class instead of the A class. And, um, you know, and I did get put in that class. Um, as far as advocating now, I, I don't know if I'm the best advocate for myself. I feel that I would probably be a better advocate for somebody else, <laughs> you know, again, because I'm not reading all the studies. I'm not reading the statistics only because I don't like what the numbers say. Um, and we had this discussion before, um, who, who knows where these numbers come from? All I know is that I want to be in the top percentile that, that survives. And, um, you know, again, you know, I'm here, I guess, 17 months. I, I don't know if I'm considered a survivor yet. I guess some people would call me a survivor. Um, but, you know, to me, I, you know, I'd like to be called, I, I want to get to the five-year mark and be called a survivor. <laughs> That's So my first goal is to get to the second year. And then my next goal is to get to the five-year mark. Um, and, and I really do feel that the country is on the brink of a cure. I really do. And um, not to get into politics, but um, I believe the president did sign some, some um, bill on cancer research where mm -hmm. they've increased research. So um, I, I have faith. I have faith in, in the country and I have faith in um, the scientists. So as far as advocating for myself, yeah, I, I'm going to advocate as much as I can. Well, I, I I know we said this before we hit record. You are a survivor. Everyone's a survivor, right? Um, you're still here, you know. And right. and I think that's something that as an advocacy group, I know we 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 talked about this before we hit record, but I'll repeat it. You know, us Project Purple. I can speak for us. You know, um, anyone who's alive is a survivor, right? Like I I don't know, like how do you define survival? Like you're alive, you're, you're living life. Like that's a survivor. Right. Um, I, I, I mean, yeah. Are you, are you, you still have a, a fight on your hand? Absolutely. No one is saying you don't. Um, and, and no one's trying to, um, you know, deny that fact, but you're still surviving. And you're still living life. You're going on a cruise, <laughs> you know. So like you're surviving and you're and you're living, and that that's that's the most important piece. And I think the the space as a whole, as we said before, uh, we hit record. I think needs to do a better job. I can speak for us here at Project Purple in, in terms of communicating that, so people don't feel that they're not part of that survival statistic because no one knows where that number comes from and no one can tell you you're not part of that number. So, you know, that's, that's where I'll leave that on that conversation. Um, I've got a couple of questions left here for you and then we're going to, uh, open it up at the end and where our audience, if someone's listening, um, uh, wants to connect with you. I didn't ask this earlier, but 
family history, what does that look like? Did, was there, uh, I, I know, I'm sure now at this point, you know, here we are in, in 2023 and, and being diagnosed in 21 and then going into 22, genetics plays a piece in everything now with pancreatic cancer. Was there any genetic link or anything that, uh, that the family in terms of what may be under the hood, I guess, as they say, from a genetic standpoint? So interestingly enough, um, all of these years I've been more focused on breast cancer because that's been uh, prevalent in, in my family. Uh, my mom had a lumpectomy. Her one sister had a single mastectomy. The other one had a double mastectomy. And on my dad's side, his sister had the lumpectomy. Um, so again, I've been very diligent in um, going for mammograms and sonograms to, um, you know, to make sure that I didn't get breast cancer. And ironically enough, um, when uh, Phyllis was seeing a, um, a radiologist, the radiologist said to her that there there is some sort of a link. They they seem to think that there is some sort of a link between breast cancer and pancreatic cancer. Um, maybe they haven't figured out that specific gene, but there's there's some sort of a link. So that was an interesting statement to hear. Um, and so you, I, I don't have the BRCA gene okay. and, um, my pancreatic cancer is not genetic. So but you have a high prevalence of breast cancer in your family for some right. reason, but it could be, you know, and, and this is the, 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 when you said things moving so fast, right? Like this is the space I think that most of the science is going and, you know, in terms of, um, genetics and, you know, there are families and also knowing that, um, you know, Jewish families and I would say Italian families are very similar in the sense for a lot of reasons. Um, cancer is one of them as well. Um, you know, there's, there's a high prevalence of certain cancers in the Mediterranean region, you know, for families. And then also we know in, in, you know, Jewish descents, there's very high BRCA, Lynch syndrome, you know, these, these genes that tend to, um, you know, cause these cancers, um, and these clusters in families. And I think science doesn't know enough yet, but I'm hopeful within, you know, the short term that we discover more and more genetics um, with these prevalence of certain cancers. Because I've met families throughout the years, to your point, that don't have the BRCA gene, but they have multiple cancers of the same cancer in their family. And I think it's not crazy to say like, hey, there's something going on there genetically, right? Um, we we know enough that, you know, genes are passed from parents to children. Um, and that could be from, you know, syndromes to cancers that we've seen already in things that we've identified. I guess they just haven't identified enough, right? But I, I am hopeful though, and here in the short term that we see this massive push from a technology, there's like things happening right now with this GBT, I, you know, artificial intelligence and these big data sets, you know, that, that are really cool outside of the science. I'm hopeful that we see a lot of progress here in the short term. And that when I say short term, like in the next six months to a year, you know, for the sciences in particular, the genetics piece and, and sequencing and stuff like that, because the technology's there and it's happening in these other realms, um, you know, of whether it's education or entertainment or, you know, um, the other things that it's happening in, um, 
you know, I just would love to see it happen here in the science, you know, and in particular in cancer. You talk about um, support a little bit. Um, you mentioned, you know, your friends, you mentioned your your spouse. What has that been like for you during this time? Um, well, I mean, I try not to put cancer in the forefront of my days. Um, you know, it's, sometimes it does get in the way, <laughs> it does get in the way quite a bit. Um, planning is sometimes difficult, but again, my friends and my family, they're just, they're just really supportive. I mean, I've, you know, I've had friends send over meals. I've had friends just come and hang out. I've had friends cook for me, um, take me to hydration or, um, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, Phyllis has done research and she's been on the phone and she's just, you know, been by my side every step of the way. And, and her family is just, you know, spectacular. My nieces, they're always there for me. You know, if it's not like rubbing my feet or my back or ordering a meal or just sitting with me watching, you know, basketball or whatever it is, um, there's just always somebody there. You know, I mean, I get text messages from my sister 10 times a day with her support and my cousins and, you know, the support's actually overwhelming. You know, it, it really is overwhelming. And sometimes I say, please, just I want to be normal. You know, I mean, as bad as that sounds, like I want to be normal, you know, um, and, and it's hard for people because they don't know what to do and they want to fix things. And unfortunately, this it, they, they can't fix this. There's, there's nothing I could say that they can do, you know, um, and, and, and I know it's hard on them. You know, I know like if my friend was sick, I'd want to do something. And it just, it just makes people feel powerless. And, um, and I recognize that. And, you know, I think we, we all just kind of share in that same powerlessness in a sense, you know, a little differently, but we share it together. You just said something so powerful. You said normal. You want things to be normal. So often advocacy group, I can speak for us here. We get the call or I get a call. I get a text like, hey, my neighbor just got diagnosed. What should I do? Or my mom just got diagnosed. What 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 do I need to do here? So you bring it up, the normal. And I always say, just be normal, man. Like, no need to go over. Patients know what they're going through. How do you define normal, though, Jody? When you say like you just want things to be normal, so for someone watching or listening, their sister, their loved one, their neighbor gets diagnosed. What are some of those normal, or how can how can they how can they create normalcy for someone going through that? Because I think this is so powerful. Because I think this is like a very important topic that most people don't talk about. So I, I think normal is, you know, it's, it doesn't have to be about me. Number one, it doesn't have to be about my condition. Um, I want my friends to be able to say, Oh, you know what? I had a shitty day. You know, this is what, you know, this is what has happened to me. Um, or I don't, you know, they don't feel well or whatever they're going through. I still want them to share their experiences with me and not feel guilty about, you know, if they've, they're going somewhere, if they're having a good time or, you know, whatever it is, like, let's, you know, let's just have the conversation. It does, you know, I'm not, my feelings won't be hurt. I, I want you to have a good time. 
You know, I want you to live life. Like, I, I don't want you to sit here with me. Go enjoy your life. You know, report back to me. Oh, you know, I went here and it was such a great time and blah, blah, blah. You know, so I, I just want what I had before when I say normal, um, especially, you know, since now that I mean, I used to travel before I was sick, but, you know, I worked. So I, I only did get three or four weeks out of a year. The good thing about this is I can now travel whenever I want um, <laughs> in between my treatments and if I could schedule it. Um, so that's the plus side. Um, and Phyllis has just said, you know what, Jody, just plan a trip whenever you want. We'll, we'll go whenever you want. And so, and so that's what we've been doing. Um, and, and that's normal, you know, to be able to go away, enjoy the sites. Um, you know, we just went to Puerto Rico with her sister um, and my brother-in-law. We had a great time. And it was like, you know, for, for at least two to three whole days. I, I felt like I was before. I didn't think about being sick. I didn't feel sick. I just felt regular, you know, normal. You know, I could eat what I want. I can sip a pina colada, you know. I could enjoy myself and not not worry. And 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 that's what I want for my friends. I, I want them to report back to me their normal days, whatever it may entail. So powerful. Thanks for sharing that with us. I got two questions left and they're both, um, as I said, loaded. There's no right or wrong to them. Given what you've gone through, what's some advice that you would give someone listening right now that maybe just gets a diagnosis today? What are some of the the things that you would advise them to do or uh, maybe not to do? Uh, what would that be? Um, well, for me in the beginning, initially, um, it was hard to lose my hair. Um, so depending on the person, um, if it's, you know, a, per, a, a woman with long hair, that would, that's the hardest thing. I mean, that gave me the most anxiety, um, was watching my hair fall out. Um, and of course I went out right away to buy a wig and an expensive wig. And I worked once and <laughs> After that, I was like, you know what, I'm not, I can't do this. Like, this was more work to wear a wig than just to put this hat on my slouchy cap on my head. Like, this is just easier. Um, so, I mean, I, I would probably just have that conversation with them and ask them what, you know, what do they think would be harder for them to say? Um, some people choose to just let their hair come out if it comes out and, and they're okay with it. I couldn't handle that. So I, I would first listen to what that person would say before I would even bring that up. Um, but that could be traumatizing. Um, but but I would say, you, I hope that you have faith because that's what's going to get you through this. It's powerful. My last question here, and again, this is a loaded question. There's no right or wrong. Given your experience, what's your definition of the term Pancreatic cancer. Oh, what is my definition of pancreatic cancer? It's a good question. It's annoying. <laughs> um, well, pancreatic cancer is something that will change your life. Um, just, you know, you got to roll with the punches and just do the best that you, you can. 
hopefully you won't be in pain and, and there's medication for all of that. Um, you just have to report how you feel and it, and it could all be managed. Jody, thank you for sharing your journey with our audience and thank you for uh, allowing me the opportunity to kind of open up your world into our community here on the Project Purple Podcast. Last thing here before uh, we say goodbye, if someone listening to this podcast, maybe they've just been diagnosed or maybe um, they've, they've been going through this and they'd love to share their thoughts with you, um, where's the best place for them to connect with you? Uh, I could give you my email address or, or certainly, do you know, um, I'll give you my cell phone number if they reach out to you. Um, I'm happy to share my, my cell phone number with them also. Um, my email address is don't laugh because I'm still like an old timer. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's J S as in Sam, A D as in David, the number two trees, T R E E S at here comes a joke. AOL. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Awesome. Jody, thank you for uh, sharing your journey with our audience here on the Project Purple Podcast. It's been an honor to have you on. And um, faith is so important. I, I you know, there, there's things that uh, I've been doing this, as I said, six years now. And there's a common, there's a, there's a lot of common themes um, you know, that we hear from our survivors, which you're part of, and, and faith is always part of that list that comes up and it's such an important piece. And, um, you know, there, there's a higher being to why we're here, what we're doing. Um, and, and I hope that people see that, uh, and I'm not here to preach religion. I don't care what you believe in. Um, but there is a higher being and, and why we're all here and, and why we're doing what we're doing. So I appreciate you sharing and opening up about your journey here on the project purple podcast. And, uh, I look forward to staying in touch with you and seeing you grow along this journey. Thank you, Dino. Thank you so much for having me here today. Pleasure's all ours. That's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear today, feel free to share this episode. Make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on our YouTube channel. Till next time, please be safe. Thanks for listening. That's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. Yeah.